All right, we're jumping into week four of five things that God uses to grow our faith. And here's the big deal. God wants to grow your faith. Surprise, surprise. God wants to grow your faith. God wants your faith to be big, bold, living, active, strong, abiding faith in Him because He knows that if your trust in Him gets really big, everything about you gets better and stronger. Your relationship with Him is best when it's based on faith and based on trust and everything flows out of that. Your ability to resist temptation is strongest with a big trust in God. Your ability to walk with confidence in life is best when you have a big trust in God. Your ability to endure the storms of life is best when you have a big trust in God in God. And because God wants to grow our faith in Him, we're talking for a few weeks about these things that we're calling the five things God uses to grow our faith. We've talked about practical teaching and private disciplines. And the next few weeks, we'll talk about providential relationships and pivotal circumstances. But today, we're going to focus and talk about this thing called personal ministry personal ministry. Now today, I want to give you my definition of personal ministry because it's a a complicated definition, and I I want to make sure that we're all on the same page as we begin to talk about personal ministry. Here's what personal ministry is. Personal ministry is allowing God to use your person to accomplish whatever ministry He wants to do through you whenever He wants. It's a great definition, right? Yes, if you're wondering, I did come up with it myself. Yes, you can borrow it if you want to use it as your definition for personal ministry. I think that would be great. That personal ministry is allowing God to use your person, to use me as a person, to use you as a person, to accomplish whatever ministry he wants to do in you, in whatever he wants to do through you, whenever he wants to do it. So let's just be honest, though. For some of us, we have felt tugs at at points in our life toward doing something that maybe some people would call ministries toward toward doing something at some point or wanted to help with something that we thought needed help with at some point or wanted to help a person that we thought needed help. And I would bet most of us have, when we felt those tugs, we've been a little bit hesitant or we questioned if we were the right person to actually do the the thing or to do the job. Uh, Maybe we even backed away altogether because there's something in a lot of us that thinks, well, ministry is for ministers. Ministry is for pastors. Ministry is for professionals. Ministry is for someone, but it's not for me. And I I, I just want to say, as as we begin today, I totally get that line of thinking. I totally get where it comes from. But I would also tell you that if you have ever felt that thought, and I know I've, I've felt that thought at different times in my life, that if you've ever felt that thought, that thought could not be further from the truth, because what I've really begun to understand over over the over the years is something some something that I think is really 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 important to understand. Long before I became a pastor, I was in ministry. Long before I, I became a pastor, I was called to ministry. Long before I ever got the title of pastor, I was involved in ministry and had been called to ministry. So I've been a pastor for 16 years now, but I've been actively involved in ministry almost my entire life. Like the church that I grew up in, it was known in our community for, for big productions around Easter. Uh, at, at Christmas, we'd have our Christmas like kids productions. We even did this thing that was like a traveling, dramatic, maybe traumatic um, play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, which still exists to this day, actually. And I didn't know that. Um, but it, but like we, we did these these productions and, and, and at these productions, we were this, you know, relatively small church and relatively small town. But during these productions, often hundreds of people would come to our church and many times people would put their faith in God. And whether it was a Christmas play or a Christmas production or an Easter drama or, or, or Heaven's Gates, Hell's Wings, my parents always had me involved in these things. And and and, be, and, I, and I, I kind of began to think about it this way, that like regardless of whatever, how, however small a part I played in any of those things, like I had a part to play and people came to Jesus. Every time we did those things, people came to Jesus. I had a small part to play and, and I played my small part and people came to Jesus. It was involved in ministry. 
I remember in middle school and high school, a lot of my friends started to get involved in the worship team at our church because they could sing, or they could play piano, or they could play the guitar. And in middle and high school, I played the trumpet, which, which if, if you know anything, like it's not an instrument that is easily incorporated or is often incorporated into like modern praise teams and modern worship teams. And so I remember feeling, feeling really kind of bummed out about this because I wanted to be involved, but I played an instrument that was kind of hard to get, in, to, to get involved with. And I remember my, our, our, our youth pastor's wife, our, our worship leader, her name was Christy, and she, she sat me down. She said, hey, like if you would like to be involved in this, I'll write out trumpet music for you so that you can play out, so that you can play as part of the worship team. And I remember feeling so excited about that. Like I get to be involved. I get to be a part of ministry. Like I get to be involved. And I remember starting to play the trumpet and pretty quickly people, like some people really liked it and some people really thought that I should stand behind like a, a plexiglass thing because the trumpet was a really loud instrument that didn't come through the rest of the system. And sometimes it was overbearing. And I remember doing that and I was like, ah, this, is, this is great. This is happy. And then I started to play, play the drums because the drummer for our church, you know, graduated from high school, went to college and we need a new drummer. So I just started to learn the drums. And interestingly enough, people wanted me to stand behind, you know, be behind plexiglass for that too. It's this weird thing. All the instruments I play, people want me to play behind plexiglass. Anyway, so like, 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 like I had that going. I remember like be during my internship at a local church in college, like while I was in college, there were five of us interns in the youth department. We were all guys between the ages of 20 and 22. And I remember there was this particular Sunday coming up where the nursery director had a real big shortage of, of workers for the nursery. I think it might have been Mother's Day and she was trying to give everyone off that normally works in there. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it, what it was, but like I remember there was this shortage of volunteers and the youth pastor that we worked for, the youth pastor that we all, were all interning under, he voluntold us, he, he voluntold all of us that for that Sunday we were going to be working in the nursery. So he took us five 21-year-old guys and we were going to work in the nursery. It was just the thought of it, honestly, the thought of it was terrifying to me. All of us got spit up on. One of my fellow interns got peed on. All of us got tons of crumbs on our shirts and none of us brought extra clothes. At the end of the first service that we, where, where we were supposed to work and then we were going to be able to go to second service, the nursery director actually asked us to all please, she said, and I quote, please leave and go out the back door and go quietly because I don't want anyone to see you because anyone who sees you would never want to work in the nursery, would never want to volunteer in the nursery. And we thought, yay, that's, we did, such, we did such a good job that we actually have to leave silently out the back door because we would actually ruin the future of the ministry. But, but, but at the same time, it was ministry. It was, it was helping create an environment so that kids could actually learn about Jesus and their parents could focus on Jesus together in the main service. It, 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 was, it was ministry and it was kind of amazing. I, I mean, it, it was spit up on amazing, but it, was, but, it, but it was amazing. I also remember at that same church, we had a massive event with a guest speaker and over 900 teenagers showed up and over 100 students responded to a gospel invitation. And the youth pastor that I interned under, while that, while that thing was going on, while the gospel invitation was being given, and while hundreds of people were, you know, a hundred teenagers were responding to it, he said, hey, I want you, we're going to have them come back to a room and we're going to tell them about some of the next steps, get a Bible in their hand. I want you to run that room. And I thought, you should have told me earlier in the day. Then he told, he told me three minutes before it's happening. So I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta get this figured out. And, I, and it, it, you know, you stood up on this chair in this room with a hundred teenagers where, where everyone's standing. And I told him like, here, you've taken a first step. Here's the next step. We're going to get a Bible in your hands. We'd love to see, like, like I got to run that room and it was ministry. It was amazing. And, and here's the thing, I tell you all of that. The reason I tell you all of that is not to like, wow, Chris has done some cool things. Chris got spit up on when he was 21. Like, like, like that's, that's not worth mentioning. But here's the thing, all of that happened before I ever became a pastor. 
All of that happened, and a lot more happened in regards to ministry, in regards to personal ministry, before I ever became a pastor, before I ever got the title of pastor. And that's why I feel confident in saying this, that God wants to work through ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. God wants to work through ordinary people. God wants to work through pastors, sure, and I'm really glad that he does, but God wants to work through people who aren't pastors, people who, who have regular, who have, who have day jobs, people who, who are stay-at-home moms, people who, who run the carpool, people who, you know, work, work at hospitals and work at schools and work at businesses downtown and work at, at White Sands, and people, God wants to use, God wants to use ordinary people, people who aren't called to be pastors, to still do ministry. God wants to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. See, as a Jesus follower, that's part of what you and I are invited into. That's what part of what you, invite, you and I are invited to step out of our comfort, to step out, of, uh, out, out, out as ordinary people into God's game plan and to surrender whatever gifts and talents and abilities and time, which by the way, all come from God in the first place, into surrender them into God's hands and into God's plans to be used by him to do what he wants to accomplish for the good of someone else. That's what ministry is. That's what ministry is. That's why every Christian should be and is called to be a minister. And that's good news. That whether or not you have a specific call on your life to work in a church or not, you are a minister. You are called to be a minister. Now, if you're wondering, well, yeah, 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 but, but what does that have to do with growing our faith? What does that have to do with growing our faith? What does that have to do with my trust in God getting bigger? That's a great question. See, each of us, I think each of us, the reason we feel that hesitation, the reason we feel that pullback when we feel those tugs into doing something for someone, the reason we feel that is because we all deal with two things. We all, we all deal with fear and we all deal with inadequacy. Fear, inadequacy. Fear says, that, well, what, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if, what if I don't, what, what if things don't go right? Or, or like, what if I say the wrong thing? Like, like, what if, what if I ruin something? Like, what if I ruin something? That's fear. Inadequacy says like, well, what if I'm not enough? Like, what if I'm not smart enough? What if they have questions that I don't have the answer to? What if, what if like, I want to do something, but I, but I don't have everything that I need in order to do what I feel like I'm, like I want to do? Like, like, what about that? We all deal with fear and we all deal with inadequacy. See, you, you have dealt with that and maybe it's kept you from stepping into personal ministry. But the, at the end of the day, here's the good news. Those two things actually become the proving ground for God and become the stepping stone to, to God blowing up your faith if you're willing to step into personal ministry beyond your fear and beyond your feelings of inadequacy. Because here's the truth. God wants you to see what he can do through you. God wants you to see what he can do through you. God wants you to see what he can accomplish through you with all your fear, with all of your feelings of inadequacy, with all of your feelings of doubt about yourself, with all of your insecurity. And don't forget with all of your actual imperfections. See, all those things that you know about yourself are the reasons that you think God can't do anything through you. But those things actually become the proving ground for, for us to understanding something amazing about God, that God can work through you. And when you see God work through you, you do not become more confident in your ability. You become more confident in God. You do not become more impressed with yourself. You become more in awe of God. That's how God grows your faith through personal 
ministry. That's how God blows up your faith in the best way possible, through personal ministry. And that's why God wants every single one of us to step into personal ministry, to do for the good of someone else in Jesus' name what we feel afraid of, what we feel inadequate to do. Jesus wants us to step out of our comfort, to step into our fear, to step into our inadequacy, and watch Him do what only He can do through us. Now, if you're wondering where this comes from in Scripture, it's literally everywhere. It's, 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 a, it's literally like everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, it's why God put a staff in Moses' hands, and a nation wasn't led to put their faith in Moses, but to put their faith in God. It's why God called Abram to follow without a destination, and he, got, and he saw God move as he stepped out in faith. It's why David didn't sing the praises of David after David killed Goliath, but he sang the praises of God after seeing what God did through him. In the Gospels, we constantly see Jesus pushing his disciples into situations where they would be uncomfortable, that they would be at the end of themselves and discover the greatness of God. Jesus consistently had his disciples do ministry with him and then send them out by themselves to, to, to do what he had done. He literally would like say, okay, let's go do this together. And, they, and some miraculous thing would happen. And then Jesus would say, okay, now you go do that by yourselves. Now you go off in groups of two. Now you go off in groups of three. You guys do what I've done. You're going to do even greater things. And every time they would come back, when they came back, they were not saying, check us out. Check us out. We're so amazing. Like, like, like we did some amazing things. Every time they came back, they were saying, how great is God? Like people were healed through me. And I know it had nothing to do with me. People were set free from oppression. And I know it had nothing to do with me. God is amazing. God is amazing. Like that's what happens every time we, we, we step out and step ahead of our fear and step ahead of our inadequacy. God shows himself strong by doing through us what we know we're not capable of doing. And today I want to look at one of the clearest examples of this in the ministry of Jesus and in, in his interactions with his disciples. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, the, the chapter begins by telling us that Jesus's cousin, his good friend, his, his you know, kind of forebearer in ministry, the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus, tells us that he, while he was in prison being held by Herod, Herod had actually executed and beheaded John the Baptist. Herod had made a promise to an exotic dancer that, that, he, that he would give her whatever we, she, he, she wanted because he was so impressed by her dancing. And, and, and what she wanted, actually what her mom wanted, was John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And so Herod kept his promise, and he beheaded John the Baptist. And Jesus, as we, at the beginning of this story, we're told that Jesus had just been told this news. And then we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. It says this, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. It's an incredibly painful moment for Jesus. This is incredibly painful news for Jesus. John was his cousin. John had been a childhood friend. John had baptized Jesus and had legitimized Jesus's ministry. He had prepared the way and pointed the way for Jesus. He had actually, in front of a group of people, said, this is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. This is, a, this is a big deal. This is devastating news for Jesus. It says this, But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, this, this is big time. we got to pause here for a second. This is big time. Jesus was cut deeply by the execution of John. If I can interpret why, I think it went past family relation and what John had done for Jesus. I think Jesus knew that he was on a similar path. Jesus knew where he was headed. Jesus knew that, that his life would be laid down similarly to John's. That he, he knew that one day he would be confronted by the state and by the religious leaders and by the, by the politicians and that his life would end in 
very similar fashion to John's. Like John, he, he looked at John and saw where he was going. This cut Jesus deeply. And in this moment of intense personal pain, Jesus sees the crowd coming to him. And it would have been very easy for Jesus to say, not today, guys, not today. Like with everything I'm going through, my cousin, you know, my close friend, like John the Baptist has been killed while in prison. Like, you know, come back tomorrow and I'll be in a better place mentally. Like, like Jesus, we all, everyone would have understood if Jesus said that in that moment. Instead, instead Jesus, out of his pain, He chose to meet the needs of the crowd. Jesus made it all about them. And I think we just need to remember this because there's a miracle coming out of this story. But before we get to the miracle, we need to remember that this is a painful moment for Jesus. And some of your most significant ministry will come in the shadow of your deepest pain. Some of your most significant ministry will come in the shadow of your deepest pain pain. It might be the witness of your faithfulness and trust in God through the most painful moments of life. It might be the witness of, hey, I've, I've been through hell and back, and I can tell you that God is still faithful. It might be the ability to look someone in the eyes and say, I have been where you are. I know it sucks, but I also know that God is not done with you. It might be that your life completely fell apart, and you watch God pick up the broken pieces and put you back together. It might be a lot of that, but here's what I, here's what I know. For some of us, we think the difficult moments that we've been through, the painful moments that we've been through our life's experiences that took us through hell and back, we think it disqualifies us from God using us. And I would like to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. Your pain may perfectly position you to be used by God to minister to and to meet the needs of someone else, someone who will be walking in your footsteps someday, someone who will be going through a similar situation someday, someone who will be going through pain that you felt some, that someday, that your pain might perfectly position you in the shadow of your pain. Your pain might perfectly position you to be able to minister to someone someday. And for Jesus, out of his pain, a great miracle was about to take place. In verse 15, we're told this, that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. See, I I love the disciples. I I think oftentimes in my life, I, I am the disciples. You know what's probably true about the disciples right now? They are not worried about the people getting food. Who are they worried about getting food? I think, it's, I think they're worried about the disciples getting food. The disciples are worried about the disciples getting food. They're like, um, look, hey, Jesus, after a long day of ministry, like, you know, we want to eat. We want some food, but so we don't sound selfish and like we're trying to take you away from this moment without helping all these people. Like, you know, every, every, everyone's hungry and it's getting late and, it's, and there's no food around here. There's not a Chipotle. There's not a Chick-fil-A. There's not a McDonald's. Like there's nowhere to, to get food around here. So we got to send the people back to town so they can eat something before it gets too late, before it gets to be too dark, before they can't get home anymore because it's too dark out. Like we got to do something for them. Like we got to do something for them because really we want to do something for us. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, that, that might be silly, but, but, all, but, all, but all jokes aside, here's what we see in the disciples. They see a need. They see a need. This is that tug that happens in your heart every once in a while when you see a need, when you see something that needs to be done, when you see someone that needs help. And just like just like the disciples, we often think, well, someone needs to do something about that. And the question becomes, well, who is going to do something about the need that you see? Verse 16 says says this: Jesus said, Oh, that isn't necessary. You feed them. You feed them. Then Peter said to John, see, I told you we should, have set, we should just send people home and not ask Jesus. It's like I always say, better to ask forgiveness than permission. Just kidding. That's, that, that's a fake verse there. That, 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 that is not in the Bible. That's one of those fun times where Chris likes to make up Bible verses. But let me, let me just on that note, let me, let me say something about that phrase. If you use that phrase, better to ask forgiveness than ask permission, it actually will diminish people's trust in you. 
Um, but here, here's the thing. Getting back to the passage, imagine you are standing there and Jesus tells you this. Well, that's not necessary. You feed them. You feed them. You feed them. Don't send them away. You feed them. This is a large crowd. From what we find out later in the story, this is a gigantic, massive crowd. This is not, oh, hey, there's Jesus and his 12 disciples and then like five more people or 10 more people. And we could probably figure out how to make what we have, you know, into a meal for enough people if we all stretch and eat a little bit, you know, less than we want to eat. Like we can probably make it stretch. We can probably make it work. The disciples cannot do what Jesus has asked them to do with where they are and with what they have. They cannot make this happen. But Jesus has given them a command. Jesus has commanded them that they are to help feed these people. So what do they do? They start taking inventory. In verse 17, the disciples respond, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now what's funny about this is we know from another gospel account, this wasn't even their food. This belonged to a kid who just happened to be there. So the disciples in their inventory, all they realize that they have is their ability to be a a bully to a little kid and take his meal and bring it to Jesus and say, hey, this is what we got. This is what we got. They take a kid's lunchable and they take it to Jesus because that's all they have. In verse 18, we're told this. Bring them here, Jesus said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. So this is a pretty big key. And I think this is actually the key when it comes to personal ministry. You do what you can do and trust God to do what only God can do. You do what you can do and you trust God to do what only God can do. This is actually pretty interesting if you think about it. Did Jesus ask the disciples to multiply the food? Nope. What did Jesus ask the disciples to do? He asked them to gather up what they could and then to distribute what he multiplied. He didn't ask the disciples to perform a miracle. He just asked them to do what he knew they could do. And then he did what he could do. So he says, hey, disciples, I know you can gather up food. Go gather up food. And I know you can distribute a lot of food. So you gather up what you have, and I'll turn what you have into enough. And then I'm going to ask you to distribute what is, what is enough for the crowd. He asked them to do what they could do, and then he did what he could do. This is still what Jesus asks of us today, to do what we can do. And let's be honest, for some of us, that's a little. For some of us, that's a whole lot. And, and, and we do what we can do, and then we leave the results of what we can do in his hands and watch him do what only he can do. See, here's the thing today. Only he can multiply food. Only he can walk on water. Only he can change a heart. Only he can offer forgiveness. But we can point people in his direction. We can have a conversation. We can meet a need. We can keep showing up. We can continue to serve people in Jesus' name. We can continue to wash, pe- wash people's feet. We can continue to gather what, whatever we have and to bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, do what only you can do. And then we can do whatever you ask us to do from there. That Jesus never asks us to do something that we cannot do. He says, do what you can do and then place it in my hands and I'll do what only I can can do. You do what you can do and trust God to do what only God can do. And then the story wraps up this way. We're told this in verse 20. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. See, this is amazing. They were worried about what they wanted to get to eat. Each of them got a full basket. They were worried that they wouldn't have enough to eat out there. Each of them got a full basket because Jesus didn't just work through them. Jesus provided for them. And then we're told this detail at the end. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. This massive crowd is fed because Jesus did what only Jesus can do. 
But Jesus did what only Jesus can do after the disciples did what they could do. And let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you think any of the disciples ever forgot that day? I, I don't think any of them ever forgot that day. We know Matthew didn't. I mean, Matthew recorded this in, the, in his account of Jesus' life, that Matthew, who was there, who was one of the 12 disciples, right, had a first row, front row seat to this. He's going, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, Matthew remembered for the rest of his life the day that Jesus took his hands and what was in his hands and did through him far more than Matthew thought possible. And as a result, Matthew's faith blew up in the best way possible. So here's the question. So what do you, what, what do, you do with that? When it comes to personal ministry, when it comes to leveraging this personal ministry, when it comes to leveraging this idea and, and using this to let God grow our faith through personal ministry, like what do you do with that? And in a lot of years, what I, what I would be telling you to do would be to begin serving in some area of ministry as church. And, and if, and if you're, you're interested in doing that, we would love to hear from you. But here's the thing, like, right, like we're still in a weird phase of, 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 of the world and everything is still kind of messed up. And so many areas and so many ministries in our church are still not really... Fully, fully back to, to functional, and some of them are, are, are just completely not back at, at all yet. And so, and, so, and so today, as I was thinking and praying about, like, well, what do we do when it comes to personal ministry? How do we leverage this to allow God to use our faith if it's not, you know, getting involved in serving and ministering through the local church? How do we, how do, we do that? And here's the thought that kept coming through my mind, is to make personal ministry even more personal. To make personal ministry even more personal. See, here's, here's three things I would love for you to think about doing. Find a need and meet it. Find a need and meet it. Like what if every day at work, you ask someone that you worked with if they need anything. And when you can meet it, you meet it. And when you can't, you pray that God would meet it. You do what you can do. You ask a question. You find a need. Find, sometimes find a need means you actually have to look. You have to actually ask. So you find a need and you meet it. And you either meet it through something that you can do, or you meet it through praying, which is something that you can do to ask God to do what only he can do. You find a need and you meet it. For some of us, the second, the second thing that we may need to do is to find someone who needs care and show it. To find someone who needs care and to show it. And for some of us, again, to find someone who needs care, we may actually have to look or listen better than we've been listening. But that you could recognize when someone is lonely. You could recognize when someone is lonely. You could recognize when people lack connection. You can listen for when people express big emotions. And when they express big emotions and when people express loneliness, when people feel like they have been disconnected, that you could actually lean in and not run away, but you actually lean in and you show the care and you show the, and you show the connection and you let people know that they are not alone. You, sh- you find someone who needs care and you show the care that Jesus would want them to have. And finally, maybe you find someone who needs to know Jesus and you introduce him. Again, chances are you don't have to go looking for someone who doesn't know Jesus. Chances are you're around someone like that all the time. You find someone who needs to know Jesus and you introduce him. We've said this before. Our job as Christians and our approach as a church isn't to force someone to choose Jesus but we can keep setting up dates and we can keep setting up meetups and we can keep setting up introductions so that people would find Jesus attractive, so that people would know that Jesus is worth giving their lives to, that Jesus is worth choosing because Jesus chose them. That's the good news and that's what we're all called to do, to set up introductions, to set up dates, to set up meetings so that people can continuously be introduced to the Savior of the world who died for the world. 
So we, so we find a need and we meet it. We find someone who needs care and we show it. And we find someone who needs to know Jesus and we introduce him. And I'm just telling you, when you make it personal, you'll be surprised what God does through you. And when you get surprised, God will get all the credit from you and, and from you. And your trust in him will blow up and it will skyrocket. And it'll be maybe the biggest it's ever been because that's what happens on the other side of our personal ministry. Let me give you two more thoughts here. First is simply this, that your home can be your ministry. Your home can be your ministry. Parents, let me just tell you, you have an incredible opportunity to introduce and to lead your kids to Jesus, to show them what a life following Jesus looks like. You have an incredible responsibility. That's intimidating, but it's amazing. It's intimidating and it's amazing that God entrusts our children to us so that we can lead them to Him. It's a, per, it's, a, it's a personal ministry on the most personal level. Parents, dads, moms, husbands, wives, you have an opportunity in your home to show your kids the love of Jesus. If you're a teenager or if you're a college student who grew up in a home where your family didn't know Jesus, but you've come to know Jesus, you have an awesome responsibility, an awesome opportunity in your home to show your family the love of God. Your home can be your ministry. And then here's the second thing that I would say to that. Your work or your school can be your mission field. Your work or your school can be your mission field. And let's just be honest, it probably has been all along. Like we often think of like, oh, well, there's the mission field. There's, you know, a faraway country. Well, let's be honest. The mission field is wherever you are that people don't know Jesus. And if that's in your workplace or in your school, God has placed you and God has positioned you there as a follower of Jesus so that other people could come to know Jesus through you. And that's an amazing opportunity. And it's a, an opportunity that every one of us should be willing to step up and step past our fear and step past our inadequacy and our insecurity and our flaws and all the stuff that we know about ourselves to see God do through us what only he can do through us. So, here, so here's the question. Who knows what stands on the other side of your willingness to jump into personal ministry? Who, who knows that? Who knows that? Here's the thing, God knows that. God knows that what he can do with you, for you, and through you, it will blow up your faith in the best way possible. That's why he wants you to move past fear, to move past your inadequacy and your insecurity so that you can see what he can do through you. It's bigger than you think, it matters more than you know, and it's more significant than you can imagine. And you'll never realize that until you step out in faith to let God do through you what only he can do through you. And it'll grow your faith and it'll grow your trust in him. And he will get all the attention and all the credit and all the awe. And your faith will have grown because God wants you to have big faith in him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus' work on the cross. Thank you for what Jesus did for us. Thank you for what only Jesus could do for us, that he saved us from our sins. And he still saves us from our sins. God, thank you for Jesus and what only he could do. And God, thank you that you have called every single one of us to step into the world with what we can do. God, for some of us, that's a lot. For some of us, that's a, that's a little. For some of us, we have very little time. For some of us, we have a lot of time. For some of us, we have a lot of ability. For some of us, we have very little ability. But God, thank you that every one of us is invited onto the playing field of life by you, knowing that there is something that we can do. So God, help us to be willing to follow the example of the disciples. Help us to be willing to answer Jesus's call to do what we can do and watch as you do what only you can do. 
God, would you move in us? Would you help us to have wisdom to know what to do when we hear the call, when we feel that tug, when, we're, when our eyes are open to a need? Help us to, to recognize that. Help us to have wisdom to recognize that. And God, help us to have the courage to actually step into it, to move past our fear, past our insecurity, past our inadequacy, to step into what you've called us to do, to be the ministers that you've called us to be, to step into the personal ministry that you've called us to step into. Help us to do that, God. Help us to have the wisdom. Help us to have the courage. And God, would you just blow up our faith? Would you increase our trust in you as we step into what you have for us? We love you, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.